I've really come to peace with it in the last few years that I don't have to offer up solutions and I don't really have to help them through it. Yeah. What a relief. Yeah. It's enough to just witness and look into their eyes and show empathy and feel with them and express a few sentences and and they're fine. And I have no responsibility to help them with their issue. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode in the series of the COVID-19 pandemic. This episode is about practicing empathy and how it is key to building trust in relationships. And I have a conversation again with my wife, Yvonne Rainbow, and we talk about how important practicing empathy is, especially now with all of the challenges we're facing in this world crisis and how practicing empathy can also reduce our stress and build trust in our relationships. We talk about what is empathy, how we practice it in our relationship, as well as some of the blocks that get in the way of people practicing empathy. We also discuss the difference of empathy and sympathy, and also how role modeling empathy plays in families, whether practiced or not. And before we get on to the episode, I want to put out to you that I want to invite you to ask a relationship question that I may answer in a future podcast. And if you have one, you can go to my website, heartsharecounseling.com, click on the podcast page, scroll down, and there will be a button for you to record a voicemail. So don't be shy leave a question. Also, don't forget to leave a review, especially if you are listening on Apple Podcast. I would really appreciate it. I hear it helps for the algorithms for me to get more listeners to find me when they're searching for relationship podcasts. And it gives me great joy and inspiration knowing that you are listening and possibly benefiting from the content. I spend $1,000 a month, yep, $1,000 a month of out-of-pocket expenses producing weekly podcasts with the help of a professional team of editors, which deliver an exceptional sound quality, taking out all of my heavy breathing, my pauses, my burps, my hiccups, my fuck-ups, and fine-tuning delivering a smooth sound for your listening pleasure. There is also an excellent written preview of each episode content. And unfortunately, at the moment, it's getting to the point where I may no longer be able to pay for the out-of-pocket expenses myself. And it feels really important to me 
to continue producing this podcast and getting it out to you, especially in this crucial time when it is our relationships with each other that is going to get us through this crisis. So I'd like to ask for your help. If you feel my podcasts have been of value to you to enhance your relationships, I would greatly appreciate if you would consider a reoccurring monthly donation of 5 or $10. Or if you would rather give a one-time donation, I would be very, very grateful. I appreciate how many of you are sharing my podcast on social media, and I would like to ask your support to continue to share my podcast widely. So, if you are inclined to help in this way, you can go to my website, heartsharecounseling.com, click on support the podcast page, and leave your donation. And there are also links on my show notes to get you to that page. Thank you so much, everybody. Okay, folks, I hope you all are well, that you're healthy, that you are staying safe, and we hope this episode on empathy will help you in your relationships, especially now, because as I say, it is going to be our relationship that is really going to help us get through this. Our connections are more important than ever. Okay, everybody, enjoy this episode. Practicing empathy is key to building trust in your relationships. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. All right, here we go, babe. Yeah, thanks for coming up in the studio and wanting to do another episode with me. And it was a really nice day. It was hot um, here in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Very hot. Yeah. But I like it warm. I love sunshine. So we spend a lot of time outside, and it's great because we've been housebound for 16 days now. Let's mm. get a nice walk in the forest, and we like to go down to the stream by our house, and we have lawn chairs that are set up over there and just uh, reflect and have really good conversations. So thanks for, for doing that with me. Yeah, I enjoyed. We were sitting there and talking about this podcast, and I'm excited to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're going to talk about something that is a huge important element in our relationship because I think empathy is the most significant factor in building good, healthy relationships, whether it's your partner, your best friend, co-worker, child. Empathy is the most influential element in forming trust and building rapport with other people. And we've had some experiences of, of doing that this week. And I think that when I'm working with a couple, some of my experience is that they're coming in for counseling because they're really lacking. At least one of them is really lacking in the art of uh, empathy, really understanding their partner on a really deep feeling level. And over the years, over our 24, 25 years, we've really worked on that element in our relationship. And I know I feel really safe in our relationship and trusting because that's cultivated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly hasn't always been like this, but we have been training a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was many years that we didn't feel seen and heard by each other, and we were vying for that position to be right, you know. And that's 
that's a component that does not bode well with uh, empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we would have resentment and just brew on it and not speak to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a real good example this past week where I really did feel some empathy from you that didn't start off empathetic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, oh, no. I broke my glasses, folks. I, I've had glasses for the last year and a half, and it's changed my world. I can see clearly. And of all the times I broke it during this uh, pandemic crisis when the eyeglass stores closed, and so I kind of freaked out. I mean, I just picked them up, and the frame just broke right off and called the store, and they were closed. And I was just feeling stress, and so... I said to you, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe of all times. Why? Why now that I my glasses broke? And what did you say? Mm. And I said, well, what do you think that's about? What's the message for you here? <laughs> and I was not open to hear that at all. That was not very empathetic at all. It was more like I wanted to say a joke or something for fun because we had just had fun dancing and exercising and then suddenly your glasses broke yeah and and so i said to you i said look i was calm about it too which was i was i was happy with my response because i didn't lash out to you what i said to you is hon i am so agitated right now i am not open to try to think about the meaning behind why my glasses spoke man i just really just want i i, I want some empathy right now about my glasses breaking And what did you Mm -hmm. do? And I I like that you asked for what you needed right there. And immediately I just got it. Oh, oh gosh. I did that old thing again. So I was just like, oh, I am so sorry. This must just feel so tough for you right now and so scary. And not knowing if you can get your glasses fixed. And oh, I'm so sorry for you. Yeah. And that felt really good because the way that you said that was not just in your head. I felt it in your voice and your connotation. And uh, I felt really seen. It's like, ah, yeah, that's what I want. I'll, I'll figure out the reason maybe later about it. I'll be open to the question after I'm not activated, after I'm not agitated. But right when I was agitated, I, I really wanted your empathy. And you snapped back really fast to give that to me. So thanks so much. Mm, you're so welcome. And I'm really sorry that I snapped right into an old way of being. Mm. Um, maybe even, I don't know, I used to be very sarcastic, but I'm, I'm a little quick on the trigger. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes that people, what we try to do is, especially the mode of fixing, trying to, to fix our partner, you know, when something goes wrong instead of being empathetic. You know, empathy is easy when our partner is happy, but it's way more difficult when to empathize with somebody when our partner is, let's say, hurting or disappointed or angry or sad. So basically, empathy is putting yourself in the shoes of the other person that you really care about and really feeling a strong sense of understanding their point of view from their world. You know, it's, I think it's the ability to imagine how somebody else feels of having a sense of their, their, their needs, their motivations, you know, it's underlying and what, what makes them tick. And 
I think it's usually also conveyed non-verbally, which you do so well in the tone of your voice, in maybe your body posture or the, the direct eye contact that you make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's a form of emotional mirroring. Yeah, I think that's perfect. That's it. Yeah, emotional mirroring. It's a, it's a way to get a real sense of the other person. And I know that when you emotionally mirror me in that way, it puts me at ease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think it's, it can be really effective when it's uh, nonverbal. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a lot of words, but the mimics in the face says so much and sounds like, hmm. Yeah. I have a few friends that actually do that. It's wonderful. I have some male friends, Adley and Greg and Corey, that they make these empathetic sounds, you know, when I'm talking to Adley and and I'm telling him something that's from my heart. He'll say, mm, 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 yeah, I get it. I feel you, brother. <laughs> and uh, Greg and Corey, they're really good at this uh, This sound of like, oh, oh. Like they really get me, especially when I'm telling like a story about uh, Xander and uh, how I'm feeling towards him about something, something that's maybe really appreciative or, or me missing him. You know, they'll make this sound, oh, and it's so wonderful to have that, you know, the empathetic sounds. And then even the words and the sentences, Greg's so good at, oh man, that sucks, man. You know, he can really feel me when I'm down or feel like there's injustice in my life. So it's wonderful. I love that that's when that's reflected back to me. Do you remember years ago when we were at Esalen, living at Esalen over 24 years ago, that uh, Adley, our friend, was talking to you, and he he was, what was he doing? He was like spilling his guts to you about something, and really trying to tell you something really that was bothering him, or that he really wanted to be seen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was um, really explaining it with words, and asking if I understood him. Yeah, he said, so do you understand me? Do you get me? Do you get me? And what did you say? And I said, not really, but I feel you. Mm, yeah, he told me that. He said, when she said that first, she said, not really. And all of a sudden he got activated, felt really kind of a little upset. But then you said, but I feel you. And he was like, oh, it feels so good to be felt. So you didn't really engage him cognitively and get him in that way, but you really got the felt sense of his um, discord or his uh, despondent feeling that he had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad I could respond like that from my heart because that was in the early years of training Gestalt and, and these things here and about 25 years ago. Because mm. it is a felt experience that I believe is a skill that people can learn. We can learn how to be um, empathetic. And most of the time we have a head start if we grew up in a family that knew how to express empathy. And for you parents out there, that is a great, great tool to have as a parent and wonderful to model to your kids so that they can really grow, grow up being seen and being heard and be respected for their own feelings. 
So I think that's one part, if you haven't grown up in a family of origin, that you had empathy expressed to you, it's probably much more difficult to do that as an adult. Mm-hmm. Could you give an example of that? Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, nowadays, and probably some people that are experiencing right now with uh, your children being at home now, not going to school, they probably are struggling in some areas, maybe even that they don't want to do their homework um, because, you know, they don't really have a lot of time to to go outside or engage with their friends. And, you know, they're doing a lot of online schoolwork. And I would imagine if your child would tell you, I don't want to do my homework. You know, I, I don't feel for it. I think most parents immediately come back and say, well, you need to do that. You know, you have that responsibility. You just get it over with. As opposed to inquiring and ask them something to the effect of, well, tell me what's going on for you. You know, why don't you feel for doing your homework? Yeah, and also it's probably an unusual way that they are being presented now with the subjects and and the challenges with the schoolwork. So they really could need some empathy. And Yeah, empathy does not mean that we're agreeing with the person. When we acknowledge and validate somebody's experience in an empathetic way, All we're doing is telling them their experience is valid because it's their feelings and their experience. It's not about agreeing with them. And I think a lot of parents and also partners feel, well, if I agree with my partner's or my child's experience, then I'm giving in to what it is that they're feeling and then they're gonna just run all over me. And I think the opposite happens, that when we're acknowledged for our feelings, they get to move in our body because the emotions are in the body and we are acknowledged and seen. And so that experience gets to move. So I think with children, even maybe doing their chores, when you ask them, you know, would you take out the garbage? And they say, I don't really want to do that or that they're not doing it. Instead of insisting that they're doing it, be empathetic. Can you tell me what's going on for you right now? Why don't you feel for it? And acknowledging where they're at first before you just keep directing and telling them what to do. Because I know for me when there have been times when I was young and I was acknowledged for maybe not feeling for getting up for school. And you know, when my, I remember my dad said to me one time, yeah, I know it's not easy getting up for school and having to drive yourself and, and then spend all day in school. Man, that felt so good to hear. And then after that, I got up and went to school. I just needed somebody to to acknowledge my experience. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. You were seen there. Right. It's as simple as that. He saw you, mm-hmm. your situation right there. And that's all you needed to motivate you to go, yeah. just to be seen. Yeah. And I think part of empathy also takes us to be grounded in ourselves, to be able to be present enough. Because empathy takes a lot of presence to to let's say pause my own experience and my own feelings and be aware of yours and a lot of times especially parents we're so overloaded and stressed that we don't have time to be present with our kids and now i know there's a lot of stress with what's going on in the world but also you might have more time for it you're not running around and going to soccer and taking your kids here and there This is the time to also practice more empathy for your kids because you're more grounded 
and being present with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to, to slow down and, and reset the way you communicate together. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what always confused me? You know, me not being American. There, I mix up the two words, sympathy and empathy. Say sympathy again for me. <laughs> I love how you say it. <laughs> sympathy. There you go. Yeah. Empathy. Yeah. I have empathy that it's difficult for you to say sympathy. Because hmm. <laughs> sometimes those S's and T-H's get all messed up for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think most people have some confusion around sympathy and empathy. I've had it. And I think that the difference is that Let's start with sympathy. We, we hear it a lot when it comes to, let's say, a funeral when somebody dies, right? We send people sympathy cards. And I think sympathy is definitely a feeling and expression of concern for somebody. And it's often accompanied by maybe a desire, a wish for them to be better off. You know, like, oh, dear, I'm so sorry for your loss. You know, we usually say when somebody dies, I'm so sorry for your loss. And it generally implies a deeper, more personal level of concern than pity. And it's more maybe a, a simple expression of sorrow. I believe that empathy is a much more the ability to share another person's emotions. To It really requires the ability to recognize the suffering the other person is going through, their point of view and openly share their emotions, including painful distress. So it's really getting into the, into the feeling of what the other person has experienced. So I like to tell people that empathy is really understanding and what the other person is feeling and to touch it. Because some people have a real difficult time also saying, I, don't, I have too much of a difficult time because I'm too empathetic. I mean, you sometimes have mm, that. I am so empathetic, yeah. Yeah. And, and then it, it can be hard also to put up boundaries. Mm. Does it feel like fatigue to you sometimes? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like I overextend myself because I feel so much with the other person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's an expression that we use in therapy, empathy fatigue, and that refers to a state of physical exhaustion that's resulting from repeated or prolonged uh, personal involvement in, you know, like grief or loss. And so some people can get too much enmeshed in the other person's experience and they don't have enough differentiation, the sense of themselves, to stay with themselves but still be understanding of the other person's emotion and touch and feel their world but come back out into their own self. They don't have to be submerged in the other person's, especially sadness and sorrow. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say, you know, that I, I totally submerge myself in the others, but I do feel a lot with the people and stay with that, with them for a little while in that way of talking to um, witness them. Because I think that's what you're great at. You know, one of the one of your greatest assets, I think, is you are a fantastic listener. You are so present and listening, and that's one of the most impactful skills to build empathy is 
being a really good listener, just merely listening to another person shows them that you care about what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes really easily to me and it have always been like that. So, and naturally when I talk with someone and I get them to, to speak and open their heart and and I just ask little questions here and there and they just keep going and keep going. But then all of a sudden I'm just like, oh gosh, I am full with all this information. Hmm. And then I just need to retreat yeah. from that and have a little silence or walk away or something. So sometimes that takes a good set of boundaries to be able to know how much we can be present with somebody else's challenging emotions and feelings and just listening. Mm-hmm. It does. And that takes training. Mm-hmm. And I have trained it my whole life. But I'm much better at it now. You are. Because there's, you know, little times that we talked about some examples about when you give advice or want to fix it, when you're not doing that and you're just listening and not interrupting, I feel your presence. And I feel really seen. And that really builds a lot of trust for me in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've come to learn here the, the last few years is that I can listen for a while, but we don't need to fix it in this one conversation here. I just listen, and also I've come to, I don't need to keep asking questions and get into it. It's fine with just a few minutes of um, empathetic listening, and then we can move on to something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's why you're such a, a good friend to people. They really feel heard and seen by you. And I know that uh, they really have a felt sense of being understood. And so you build a lot of trust in your relationships by how well you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I've really come to peace with that in the last few years that I don't have to offer up solutions and I don't really have to help them through it. Yeah. What a relief. Yeah. It's enough to just witness and look into their eyes and show empathy and feel with them and express a few sentences and and they're fine. And I have no responsibility to help them with their issue yeah. because people are always going to have issues, but it's mostly there for themselves to to deal with, but it feels so good to be witnessed and and cared for by others just by by being listened to for a little while. You said something interesting about not feeling responsible for the other person's feelings because I think that's where some people have difficulties when they're trying to be empathetic. Or I know in couples there's a lot of times, especially the men, that I see have a harder time doing that, being empathetic, because they really feel responsible for their partner's feelings and that uh, they get activated, especially when one partner, let's say, is disappointed or upset. Then the other person gets disappointed or upset. And instead of allowing their partner who first got upset just to be upset, then there's this escalation that happens. And that's the one part of a great tool is to self-soothe ourselves so that we can be really present with somebody else's experience. To be empathetic, we have to suspend our own experience to be really curious and interested in the others. 
and you're really good at asking questions, except that one time <laughs> when I broke that my, my glasses and he said, what do you think that's about? Usually you're good at inquiring and being curious about my experience because you want to know more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sorry, love, but I think it was, we were just coming from fun connection with dancing and all that. So a joke was just coming up for me right at that moment there. So yeah. What was the joke? It was, uh, so what do you think that is about? Could it be that you're being told not to look so much into your phone? Yeah, come on. You, <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would have not been open to that at that moment, definitely. I'm open to that kind of joke later on. So yeah, not at that moment. Yeah. And that's something too, right? Is to know when to use that humor with your partner, especially when they're feeling challenging, negative feelings. It's not a good time to to bring in humor at that time. I agree. I'm glad you held that back. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I When I really looked at your face there, I could say, oh, no, I'm not going down that road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that we become also really sensitive again to our partner's reaction. I remember some weeks ago when I was recording a podcast and I wanted you to listen to a little segment of it. And when you listened to it, you kind of made this face and you said something like, do you really want to say that? Is that something that you want to say? And it was just an automatic reaction. Mm, I was in my editor mode. Yeah, right. Exactly. You were in the editor mode. And boy, that like really the vulnerability of it like really hit me of like, do you realize how vulnerable it is to get in front of a mic, especially when I'm doing monologues and have to put it out and even ask how it sounds. And Mm -hmm. you were right into the editor mode and I told you something to the effect of, I said, "Hun, you know, when you react that way, I really feel really vulnerable and it shuts me down. I don't know if I want to be able to come to you to ask any feedback right now. And you totally got it. Mm -hmm. I got it right away. Ooh, I came out too strong there. I was so sorry. And that's what you said. I remember you say, ooh, I came out too strong there. I'm so sorry. Right. So that felt sense that I got from you, you weren't in your head. You went to the feelings. I was immediately regretting it and you could feel that. Mm. Yeah. But that combination of using an apology with empathy Oh, that's that's really key for me. Like when we're doing apologies, I really want you to empathize with how I felt. And I think they go hand in hand and that we often will need this because we say something really quick like I did there and then an apology is quickly needed and then shifting into empathy. So things don't escalate. Right. Gotta just admit, I went too far there. Okay, I'm gonna change and then choose empathy and then so we can meet and connect again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think that's the part of connect again. You know, communication goes way more better when people are connected instead of trying to communicate in order to get connection. So empathy is a great way to feel the connection to your partner or to somebody else so that your communication can go way better. Mm -hmm. Hey, I want to go back to what you said earlier about role model, empathy, growing up with that. Because as I'm thinking back here, I don't really 
remember much role modeling and empathy. I remember discussions with my dad and he would always kind of convince me of his view of things. And I would try to get in with my opinion and it would always kind of be over talked over or he would convince no his was the right way because I was so young and my opinion wasn't so important and to a large degree it was like that and I didn't really feel acknowledged and validated for my opinions and feelings and I think a lot of my opinions was rooted in feelings and that was not so you know, validate it. Yeah. It was more like facts and rules and that. So I thereby learned to not validate my opinions mm. and speak up. And it was like my dad was, you know, setting the rules and I had to conform. Mm. Yeah, that must have been hard. Growing up with that, when when you don't have that freedom to be seen or acknowledged, and especially you being a, a feeling person, to not let that be actually encouraged as a strength. Yeah, it was a bit of a fight in a way, you know, to could say my opinions, and they would kind of always be washed over or overruled. So, you know, to me, when I hear that one part of Empathy is about inclusiveness. And as you tell me, you know, about your dad, I don't believe one person does not have the right to set the rules while the others conform. That's just controlling and unjust. And in the end, it will be resented by other people. And I'm sure that you felt some resentment mm -hmm, from I that. I did feel resentment, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important for also people now in their relationships to also understand if, if they are doing that, if they're, you know, controlling and power tripping in the way that it's my way or the highway, instead of allowing for, you know, consultations and negotiating the boundaries of a relationship. And that's being inclusive. And so when you're being inclusive, you're also acknowledging what the other person's experience and their feelings are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as I reflect on that, it was like, I couldn't disagree. There was only, you know, one right. So I kind of grew up with that, that, well, there's just one right answer. And it often wasn't mine. Hmm. And luckily later in my life, I realized that it was okay to disagree and have different opinions and that there was room for it. And, um, yeah, but uh, I did not grow up with that kind of role modeling. Mm, yeah, I'm sorry. And I'm so glad I have that with you. Mm, yeah. And I love disagreeing with you. <laughs> it's really interesting. Well, I think it does get interesting when we do it right, you know, when we do it really healthy. Because mm -hmm. I think di disagreeing, you know, is to allow the differences. And instead of... When people disagree, they're way too vested in trying to defend their argument of being right. They're yeah, pushing trying the other, to convince. Yeah, trying to convince the other person that I'm right, you're wrong. And 
you know, what ends up being is that you're struggling to who's got the better argument instead of really making room for the other person's experience and feelings. And that's where the skill of empathy comes in. If one person can hold back and pause and say, you know what, I want to know what's going on for you. Tell me what's going on for you. And then empathizing and reflecting back. You know, sometimes it is reflecting back what they're saying and summarizing it from a felt sense also. That stops the back and forth escalation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really fun training this. I have had much fun training this with you over the years. You know, that we're in a conflict, we get a little heated about something and we're disagreeing and then realizing, but it's okay. We don't have to agree. We don't have to fix it right this moment here, this red hot moment. Let's just drop it and come back to it from a calmer point of view. I remember when I would get so fixated on being right and you would always say you know why do you always got to be right why do you always got to be right in my head i'm thinking because oh, i'm because I'm, I'm right you know it's like you know Gosh, it was so annoying <laughs> but because i was right i was right a lot of times but oh was, you loved being right <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i realized like oh man you know i tell people that's what i'm getting i'm getting the freaking booby prize of being right i'm not getting any more love from you i'm not getting closer to you i'm not getting more respect and more connection whip the freaking do i'm getting to be right we ended up having fun with it you would say you know can't you just tell me that i'm right sometimes and i'm thinking oh but you're not okay i'll try it and i would we would get into a little bit back and forth and i'd pause and i'd say you know what honey you just might be right how did that feel when and I did that, that made a turning point <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. you just said it for fun right in the beginning until it began rolling and it became more of a habit for you to say that. And all of a sudden, you also realized that you were not right every time. Mm-hmm. I also find it a little interesting here that, so I grew up with my dad that liked to be right all the time, and then you liked to be right all the time. And then it shifted yeah. suddenly a few years ago. Yeah, some years ago. Yeah, that really did shift. Mm-hmm. And since then, you haven't really had that need to be right. No. So it's interesting how things can change. I think something else got satisfied with that. It was more about wanting connection with you and even acknowledgement. And since I got acknowledgement from you in some way that I was mm, being present and honoring and taking care of your feelings in a positive, healthy way, that I felt adequate. Because I think, especially men, sometimes we're trying to fix things or do things or say that we're right to feel adequate. And when our woman is feeling, let's say, sad or upset, we're feeling inadequate. But when they're feeling happy, we take credit for it in some way, and we're feeling adequate. So I think in that way that you felt I felt more adequate knowing that I was satisfying something. I felt a little scattered there, hearing the cat meow outside of the the doorway, so I hope it came across clear in that way. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting, around that time where we had that shift from agreeing more to disagree, 
and to not necessarily be right. And that's also when empathy came more in, in our interactions with each other. And we deepen more into that. And I think it's a vital time for people to practice that now with the stress and what's going on with this COVID-19 pandemic and all the unknowns and the stresses of finances and survival and, and illness. We really need to, to be more empathetic for all the people that's in our lives. I know that we're engaging more with our family in an empathetic manner, thinking about your mom who's alone. She's living alone. Mm, I feel, she feels so lonely, yeah. So now I'm cranking up calling her once a week. Yeah, because I was just even thinking today about even people that are in relationships when they don't have empathy in the relationships, how lonely it is to not feel seen and not feel heard. So then I started having empathy for people who are just alone. And I started thinking about your mom and other people that I know that are alone and not in a situation where they have somebody that they care about or a loved one that they're living with that they can have some type of connection. So even in that process, I started opening up empathy to other people. And I'm sure we're all reading things in the news of the first responders and the health care workers that are in hospitals and the nurses and doctors and how much empathy that is pouring out for them of what they're going through and how they're helping people and under really, really stressful conditions. So that's empathy. Mm -hmm. And it actually feels really good to realizing this, how much they are doing uh, right now with this crisis here. And then it feels good to acknowledge it and tell it to someone. Mm -hmm. So earlier in our conversation, you were mentioning that boys are not socialized in empathy as much as girls are. So I'm wondering if you can clarify what parents can do to um, help the boys feel more empathy and know what empathy is. Hmm. Yeah, well, I think, you know, even from the start is to help um, children, help boys get more of an emotional vocabulary of what they're feeling. And if a lot of times kids, they always say, when we ask, what, what are you feeling? They say, I don't know. And um, so it's good for parents to start throwing out, do you feel sad? Do you feel upset? Do you feel disrespected? Do you feel, give them choices? Because many times we don't feel just one feeling, we feel many of them. And I like to always revert to that saying where it's a part of me feels, a part of me feels sad, a part of me feels angry, a part of me feels joyful. So parents can ask, so tell me what, tell me the different parts of you of what you're feeling so that kids can have the freedom and definitely not to judge their feelings, not to tell them what they should feel because then you're of course not acknowledging their, their true state. So one is encouraging feelings to, to be felt so that then children could know their own feelings and therefore be able to mirror other people's feelings. If I'm feeling this, perhaps somebody else is feeling this. So I know that 
parents do do this, and we did this, when a child is affecting another child, it's good to ask the child, what do you think that they felt when that happened? We used to do that with Xander also, not just with other children, but with us. You know, when he would maybe go off and get angry at you, I would have a talk with him, acknowledge what he was doing. I said, well, hey, how do you think mom felt when you, when you left and you were angry? You know, do you think that she felt lonely or she felt unseen too? You know, what do you think that was like for mom without guilt tripping at all, but just for the awareness? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that made a big shift that you asked him this. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I also think that the parents role modeling empathy could you give some examples on that? I think that's very important. Oh, I think that's great. I think parents should be role modeling all kinds of healthy communication, whether it's the ways to work through conflict, appreciation, apologizing, and then, of course, empathizing. So when parents are doing that to each other in front of their kids, then they get to role model. Because remember, it's the kids don't you know, do what we say. They actually do what they see. Yeah, they copy us. Yeah. So us empathizing, not only with our own partners, their parents, but empathizing perhaps with siblings and then empathizing with their own children. When parents do that, then it's role modeling for their kids to do that. Same thing in, in in a healthy, committed relationship. I know when you are role modeling empathy for me, it inspires me to be more empathetic for you. You're a role model in it and vice versa. So whatever you also want, it's great to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it spreads like a virus. <laughs> yeah, a good one. It's also interesting that there's studies that show literary fiction as opposed to popular fiction because literary fiction focuses more on the psychology of the characters and the relationships. And often those characters, their minds are depicted sometimes vaguely or maybe without details. So when we read that, we're forced to fill in the gaps to understand their intentions and motivation. So there's studies that actually show that reading fiction really helps increase the skill of empathy. And we know that with, you know, when you read like the Harry Potter books, I know that Xander read them and there was audio instead of the visualization of it. There's then you have to make up a lot of the gaps that are in there and we can have empathy for the characters and even non-humans because that's the thing about fictional characters is they're also a non-human form. What what was that little goblin name? Yeah, was it? Dobby? Dobby or Dobby? Yeah. I mean, I know I had empathy for him when he was sad and he didn't have his clothes or whatever it was that he was Yeah, we couldn't help feeling empathy for him. Right. So fictional characters, especially with kids, help them cultivate also empathy at a younger age. Mm Hmm. Well, many people probably don't know what's actually blocking them from, you know, being empathetic in their relationships. Do you have anything you can say about that? Mm, Yeah. I think that we also need to be aware of some of the blocks to empathy. So see if we're doing that. Like for instance, um, empathy requires our attention. You know, we have to notice what we don't notice. 
So true empathy needs to be spontaneous and we need to know what's important for us. So when we're distracted or when there's busyness or when there's rushing, then we don't pay attention. And you have to be present to pay attention, to be able to want and and see what the other person is going through and experiencing. So I think we have to look to see ways that we're not paying attention. And that is through our own busyness and our own distractions. I think another way is that the body can block. You know, our physiological state is as likely to block our empathy than our cognitive, our thinking state. So we have to understand and turn off our defenses, our physiological triggers, so to speak, our emotional state at any time that could be like anxiety and our frustration or exhaustion, our overwhelm, our annoyance, our impatience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> impatience. I actually <laughs> do have one trigger on that, and that's my mom. Hmm. You know, when I speak with her on the phone or in person when I'm home visiting, and in these later years here, I've noticed she repeats herself a lot, and um, it brings up impatience for me. And she'll be worried about all kinds of things, and she'll keep repeating it. So first, I might want to fix it or, you know, give her some solution to things. And I think she feels like I'm criticizing her or judging her when I'm giving these advices. And then when she keeps bringing it up again and again, it's like, Oh, and I, and I get impatient. And then I've noticed just this past year or so, I'm beginning to practice instead of fixing her and, you know, trying to be right in that, is to connect with her and emphasize with her. Mm. And, you know, just go along with, oh, I so understand you're so worried about this and it must affect and it must feel like this for you and I so understand and you know go that road with her instead and when you do that what what is her response yeah then it it feels like we jump into connection she feel heard and seen and it's almost also like a little bit like I'm her mom soothing her and she really needs that And it becomes really beautiful and warm and more in the heart because I empathize with her instead of trying to be right or belittle her or become a parent to her or so. So when you get out of like walking around in the state of either agitation or impatience, then um, because that will block your vision of what you really see in her. Yeah, it then, kind of blocks my heart. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, that's a good example. You know, I think it's also interesting. I think another block that comes up for me. You know what? I I just did. I just jumped to another thing real quick. That was in my head. Instead of maybe staying with you and acknowledging more about how great of a 
of a growth that has been with you and your mother. So I want to kind of stay with that. Thank you. That feels really good because <laughs> I did feel caught a little short there. Yeah. Yeah, I was ahead. That see what I wasn't I wasn't present at that moment. At that moment I was thinking, okay, what's the next thing that I want to say blocks cuz I didn't give the full attention to you and so I hope that was a good example, you know, to stop in the moment to to really be present cuz I felt it in my body that I I I didn't give you as much acknowledgement and and validation for something that you shared that was uh heartful and vulnerable. So I want to do that. Mhm. Yeah. Thank you, love. You're welcome. So now I forgot what I was going to say. No. <laughs> no, I'll jump. So I'll go on to that. It's interesting. There's there's a word that we're using right now, social distance. And it's been used in a, in a different way before. And that's like, um, that pertains to a position in social groups where we identify, you know, we identify with social groups like, uh, class or position or ethnicity or nationality, gender, economic status. And I think it's important that when we do that, that creates distance and we experience, um, it's a lack of understanding in some way to other social groups. So I think when we distance ourselves socially like that, that also impedes empathy, not understanding that humans are humans. And instead of just say, you know, I ha- I'm in this group and somebody else is in that group, to really have that bridge towards understanding a human condition. So I think when we social distance, which is good now, which I call physical distancing, but instead try to really understand all walks of life and their differences. I also think that the avoidance of pain when we don't allow ourselves to also touch somebody else's pain, that is a block towards empathy. Many people can't, let's say, tolerate some things that are going on. I get it. You know, it's hard to tolerate the news. It's hard to tolerate a lot of the fear. But we also have to be careful of compassion fatigue because compassion fatigue can also block empathy. So that means taking care of ourselves when we really need to take care of ourselves empty our cup, fill it up with our sense of groundiness ourselves so we can have the capacity to be able to touch people's experiences and sometimes that is pain. So I think that's important and that can be a block to that. But all those blocks I think are also in, within our power to, to change and that's why it's a learned skill. And... Um, I think responding to the world with more empathy, you know, that doesn't have to take away, you know, some parts of ourselves that are acting more rational. It's not going to turn us into this blob of just uh, emotional, what do they call it, like emotional sponges. I think that it just will create more of us to be clear and that we get to exercise a greater range of emotions when we see the world with more empathy. And maybe this is also what part of that's happening in our world. More and more empathy is happening so we can have more compassion to everything that's happening in the world and people's experiences. And we need more compassion to make the changes that this world needs. And perhaps this is one of the teachings 
of this pandemic is for us to cultivate more empathy for each other so we can have more compassion for people's experience so that we can make more decisions that are healthier for all of us and the environment and the world. Mm-hmm. That sounds very good, Prepo. You like that? Mm-hmm. All right. And I do want to also say, having empathy for ourselves. Down in the kitchen, I have this little quote out on the counter there. And it says, how can I listen to you when I don't even listen to myself? Mm. It's a good reminder about slowing down and having empathy for ourselves and listen into ourselves so that we also have that space within to have empathy for others. Yeah. So we've got to take care of our own needs. That's beautiful. Yeah, when we listen to our own experience, our own emotions, and we have more self-compassion for ourselves, we are going to be able to have more capacity to have more empathy for others. Yeah, so one good thing about this crisis and this lockdown, us being homebound at the moment is that we do have more time to just be with ourselves mm. and to listen in. So everybody, I hope that you take the time to practice more empathy in your lives, in your relationships with your partners, with your family, with your kids, with your friends, with your coworkers. It can change the world, crank up the emotional intelligence and compassion in the world. So I have much empathy for your process and your experience of learning more about empathy because it's not an easy endeavor sometimes, especially when it's stressful, but it's so enriching and connecting and it is what makes us human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. So you can be kind to others. Okay, everybody, mm-hmm. have a wonderful week. We will talk to you next week. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting, PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit heartsharecounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It, is produced by Auxbus. You can create your own professional podcast today, faster and easier. Try it for free at auxbus.com. That's A-U-X-B-U-S dot com. Oxbus.